Well, if we are not embracing the diversity of perspectives and tools and values and approaches, it means we're not building enough capacity to handle the unknown in the future. I wish y'all could see he's taking notes. I wish y'all could see. He's I'm writing. taking notes, y'all. It's this. It's, it's, don't a model into in the scientific ecosystem. It's too many quotables here. Okay, it's too like we, we need to make an album. I mean, because you're saying so much stuff, and you're really look. You you know I I think I think the word of it's really hit me how you talk about the comfort because I remember when I was a there, but when I've been other places. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Podcast. I'm your host, the Hip Hop Forester, Dr. Thomas Rashad Easley. Of course, working with my new friend, Bennett Alupo, who's helping keeping this going. And today, I really have, and I mean this, I wish you could see my face, Diana, because I'm like a child that's giddy right now. I'm happy because I'm talking to a friend of mine who's also been, and, and she may not think, think this, but I'm going to say it in many ways, a mentor because her career really blossomed and bloomed before mine even you know took off. And so I've been watching this scholar, this scientist for, who it's been at least eight years. And I'm talking about none other than Professor Naima Harris, uh, who's a professor there at the School of the Environment at Yale University. But this individual has had an illustrious his career already working in multiple places and traveling the world and doing research around the world. So without further ado, the most interesting person is who I just mentioned. So I'm going to ask Dr. Harris, how you doing today? Oh my goodness, what an introduction. What an honor to be here. I'm really excited to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And thank you for being on and being here with us. And we're just going to go ahead and dive in, Doc, uh, because there's a lot that we need to learn from you. All right. So the questions, okay, so we have a couple of questions, you have them, but I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to say them, you know, you know, out loud and then, uh, and just do my best to have a conversation in my excitement. All right, okay, so here's the thing, you've been a researcher, a student, and a teacher at the University of Michigan, Virginia Tech, University of Montana, NC State, <laughs> And I am sure, and now you're there at Yale, and I know there are other places because I know I don't know everything that has made this wonderful scholar. Has your voice or knowledge been well received? I want to say it like this compared to other scholars, you know, maybe it with similar level of, of experience, or, you know, maybe I'm, I'm going to say it like that with a similar level of experience. There's no such thing as levels, but similar level of experience. And so that's the first question. Yeah, so, so I'm going to be completely honest, and we're going to operate in a spirit of, of transparency in this conversation okay. today, and okay. the reality is that it has been challenging navigating the academy as a Black woman, um, as a Black woman, as a Philadelphian, as right all of the different dimensions of my identity um, that inform my approach to my scholarship, that inform the type of ways that I want to work and the kind of impact, what I consider to be excellence, what I consider to be transformative, um, because my perspective, again, informed by my own experiences, right, informed by my own background, informed by my grandmother's cooking and all of the above, um, it means that I navigate in a space that, number one, wasn't meant for me, and number two, has to um, 
has to figure out a way to create an environment that allows me to, to authentically operate in the space. And that requires some expansion, right? That requires some, um, some uh, what's the word? Some discomfort, right? Some unfamiliarity, right? Because I'm walking into a space where, um, not really sure what you're doing here. Um, not really sure what it's going to be. Not really sure um, what what you're going to do. Right? There's there's uncertainty. It's almost like oh, we're we're taking a chance. We're rolling a die. Um, they're they're taking a chance. Um, I'm taking a chance. Like I don't I don't know you. I don't know you people. Um, so because because of that. It has meant that there's been lots of resistance, there's been lots of opposition, there's been lots of challenges, but the reality is that um, I'm going to be authentic and, and I'm going to make sure that the, the power and the passion and the joy that I get from my field, being a wildlife biologist, that doesn't get taken from me, right? That doesn't, that doesn't get... Um, altered or diluted in some way because of someone else's shortcomings or someone else's limitations. Um, and so that was a long way of answering your question. But to summarize, the reality is that um, some places that I have been in navigating in the academy, um, my voice was appreciated. Um, there's other contexts where I felt like my voice was meant to serve a certain agenda, um, where there's other cases where my voice was meant to be stifled or, um, or hidden or, or removed, um, that there was an acknowledgement of like, we let you in now, like, just be good, just be good. Um, when, again, I did say I'm from Philly, so here's the thing. <laughs> So again, authentically me um, in these spaces. And I would also say that part of my, my training that's also important um, and I think has been a part of my armor and a part of my asset is that I don't just operate in an academic setting, right? I worked for the Fish and Wildlife Service. I worked for the Forest Service. I worked for WWF, major conservation organizations, right? So that means that across the ecosystem of which environment and science and some knowledge production happens, I have been able to identify and get trained and familiar and build a network across those cultures, right? Which means that my toolkit might consist of lots of different um, capacities. And I think that that has been a part of uh, what I've been able to leverage in trying to create something that again is, is impactful and transformative in the way that I work. Dr. Harris, I gotta say this. I'm just, I'm, I'm moved. I remember the first year, no, probably was about the third year that, 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 that I had known you. And I remember you were about to defend your dissertation. I'm like, uh, moving. Was it five? I'm sorry. Was it, no, I was saying like, I, I was saying like, I think it was about my third year of knowing you. Okay. You about to defend, you know, and you were getting ready to defend. I'm like, she is moving. And, you know, and I, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of great outstanding ways the way that you move. But what I always felt that I saw from you, in my opinion, you know, was this confidence, you know, of knowing where and how you want things to be. And that really elevated me, 
because I was like, yeah, I need to be, you know, like this way. And so for me, I'm serious. I'm letting you know, like that influence you had actually impacted me because then when I started, when I left state and started going other places, I made sure that my voice was heard. I made sure that people knew like, no, this is how it's going to be. You know, I'm going to make it work with you too. Because it is a two-way street. So my next question for you, Professor, like I said, I learned you know a lot from you. Is then how do you make your voice heard in these different places where there could be an agenda, where someone may want you to be good, where yeah. someone may want you to be silent? You know, like how do how how how, how did you do that? Or how do you do that? Yeah, I mean the the theme that what we're talking about right now is is really around um, agency, right? Like self agency, right? And I have always been committed to what I love, right? Like I love wildlife. I love traveling the world. I told a kid, I remember when I was, I gave a, um, a like black history speech in Detroit at the African-American museum there, the Charles Wright African-American museum. And this little kid, he had to be maybe about five or six or something. And he said, you don't look like no wildlife biologist. And that like, and that blew my mind, right? Like we have expectations of who gets to do these things that that I'm doing. And I said, I feel so blessed and so fortunate that literally I get paid to travel the world. I get paid to talk, to think, and to write. Like really, that's <laughs> that's my job. <laughs> um, and so because of that, because I get to do something that I'm passionate about, it means that I can't transfer my power to someone else. I can't, I can't let someone else's shortcomings or their variety of isms, right, stifle and hinder um, what I'm supposed to be and how I'm supposed to operate, right, in my fullness. And so in these places that have presented challenges, um, I wouldn't say that I have the most um, let's say, uh, emotional intelligence when it comes to navigating these interpersonal dynamics. Again, there's sometimes where, you know, there's prickliness, there's there's offense, there's frustrations, all of those things. Um, you know, in Philadelphia, we are, we're, we're straightforward. We are, we are blunt and direct, and that is our communication style. And the reality is that that is not conducive to the majority of people that I seem to interact with. Um, so, which means there's a delicacy, there's a fragility, there's a uh, there's an adjustment that that sometimes has to happen that I am resistant to, right? That I I want to operate in authenticity. So when I when I face those challenges, um, sometimes they're they're big challenges. Sometimes there's there's big problems and big oppositions. Um, and so me learning how to navigate those things has, has been a work in progress and continue to be a work in progress. But I do know that there are mentors that I've had that have been champions across demographics, right? And so that has been important for me to kind of leverage and nurture those relationships, a mentoring circle, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. That has been important because sometimes my voice Um, is heard differently, right, for different audiences, which means my strategy may have to be different, right? I have to think about how to be the most effective given the circumstances, given the environment, given the audience. And so sometimes um, 
me coming into the space and in, in the fullness of, of who I am may not be received very well, right? Maybe I have to figure out how to, to write it and send it in an email, or maybe I have to talk to one of my colleagues and mentors or someone that I trust um, and ask them to kind of amplify my perspective because it'll be heard differently from this other individual. Um, sometimes it is communicated in my publications, in my writing, in my presentations. Um, so there's different kind of forms of the communication that I utilize in order to try to be effective in these different spaces in order to make sure that my voice um, is heard and I can't say it's always received, but uh, I can be sure that it's heard. <laughs> I have a couple other, like, Mark, and a couple of questions because I wanted to ask you about the travel. And I mean, I wanted to, I wanted to respond to things that you're saying, but I just want to say this. I recently, uh, you know, went to my home church back in North Carolina, and we had uh, a minister who's from, wait a minute, the announcer was from. West Philly, she was from North Philly, I believe. Okay, all right. It was a little tension there, and the way that the man introduced her, it was funny. Uh -huh. You know, he was like, "Uh huh, yeah, yeah." Uh -huh, like he just uh -huh. it was that on the people. Don't sleep on us. <laughs> she gets up there, and she was outstanding. She lives in Charlotte now, and there was just something that she said that I was like, "I know some people. We all laugh, but they probably wouldn't get it." But I was like, "Look, she's letting you know, but don't also just take it literally. Take it literally. Maybe take it figuratively." She was like, "Yeah, one job I had." Looked up at this person, and I did just want to knock her out. And uh -huh. if I hit her, I was going to be the while she was down. Everybody in the church started laughing. Then uh -huh. you could tell some people like, "Should she say that?" And I was like, first, we don't tell anyone what to say right. from there. But two, we're not where from where she's from." Right. I was like, "So her saying that, I was like, she's letting us know something about her and what she's from. So that has nothing to do with violence." Has nothing, you know, I said it has nothing to do with anything wrong with intelligence. She's she's talking from her perspective. And, and I was just so happy that she felt so comfortable to actually yeah. do that. Because I know also other wonderful people, you know, from, from Philadelphia, you know, who have that confidence, who have that sternness, and who just get straight to the point, you right. know. And I can appreciate that as I've matured in my life. I've kind of become that. Working at working in Connecticut helped me to, right. to become better with that. So my next question is not even what was here. It's like, but it's going to veer into the next thing. Just, yeah. Where did this this uh, this love of travel come from, and where did this love of I mean, you are a wildlife biologist, yeah. Where you know, but you grew up in Philadelphia, and I'm not trying to insult Philadelphia. I grew up in an yeah. urban environment too, right? We consider ourselves wildlife. We didn't grow up with yeah. it around us. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, my, so my question is like, I guess two. Where did that travel, that love of travel, and where did this love of wildlife for animals come from? Yeah, so it's interesting that you asked that question because um, it, it doesn't seem so surprising to me in, in one sense, right? In one sense, a, lots of kids, most kids like animals or dinosaurs or unicorns, like some kind of organism um, most kids like, right? But as these kids kind of grow up and, and that curiosity gets stifled or the attention gets kind of driven to be more serious or like think about, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up kind of thing, um, especially in the black culture, right? That, that definition of success is very narrow of what type of careers means that you're successful, right? Um, and so, but in my case, it was a place of retreat. It was a, it was a safe haven. I got joy and solace 
in learning about animals. So like my, my cousins and, and family members would like joke, like there goes the like animal encyclopedia. She's going to tell us some random animal fact. And I was like, just wait, when I'm on jeopardy or when I'm on, right. And I'm going, I'm going to get us some money with this information, right. Like in my mind, right. I was like, this is, this is, these are cool things. And I like knowing about it. I would see things on TV, right? We got, you know, our discovery or our Jack Hannah's and all of those things. And I didn't see myself, right, in those spaces. But I like the idea of the, the like exploration of the like, of, of what's around the corner of like, what's under the rock, what's under the sea, what's up in the tree, what, what's there. So those two pieces of like loving animals, having this curious, adventurous spirit translated into, I know I can't have a type of career where it, there's a, a predictability to it, right? That there's a mundaneness to it, that there's a routineness to it. That doesn't suit my personality, right? Like I like change. I like dynamism. I like exploration. I like newness. I like, um, I like the unfamiliar. I like the, uh, um, the assessment and the deconstruction and the analysis and the, the problem solving, um, all of those things were exciting to me. And I liked being outside, right? So those, those combinations of things. So even in Philly, right? I was like catching fireflies in my little glass jar. I was finding frogs and like slugs. Um, unfortunately, every pet and animal I had, I killed because like I decided I was going to do little experiments and little, <laughs> I, I was going to have fun with these critters. Um, but because of, because of that, uh, my mom was also a high school biology teacher. My first job was at the Philadelphia Zoo. All of those things were able to, to nurture this, this interest. Um, but there still was this perception of like, okay, well, when are you going to get serious? Like, when are you going to pick a, a job where you're going to make money or you're going to right, do what is our traditional definitions of, of success? You, I caught fireflies myself. I'm a forester. I love going outside. I became an Eagle Scout. I, I earned the Eagle Scout, you yep. know, and I remember people, friends and family teasing me. You yep. know, like, oh, what you going outside for? And they're saying that as we're standing outside. Right. I'm like, right. We just surrounded by houses. I just went camping in the woods. What, what are we talking right. about? You know, you had a frog, there's a frog right over there, you know. Right. So I, uh, I I love that. And, and my mom was a teacher as well. So that's why I'm fascinated with being an educator. So you who are a world traveler, okay, yeah. and who have been able to retreat in your scholarship that has then been able to take, teach people around the world. Mm -hmm. And I was like, maybe your scholarship is a retreat for other people. You know, I feel like that when I read some of your work or watch, you know, videos. But you've also been in other parts of the world and worked and lived there. So yeah. my next question is, and I know I can't speak to every place you've been because I don't yeah. know, but what could, if you, if you feel, okay, talk about this is, what could science institutions, being you're a scientist, in the U.S., I mean, you're from here too, maybe learn from from countries in West Africa or, you know, or, or in South Africa, you yeah. know, related to how to do research and even how to even be inclusive. I hope that I said that in an okay way. Yeah. And so I, I think that that's really great. And the reason why I'm saying that is because of course there's a certain, um, there's a certain arrogance, frankly, that comes with uh, Western science. There's a certain arrogance that comes with 
who um, gets to be the knowledge producers and who gets to be the knowledge recipients, right? That there is this, um, there's this kind of donor model almost that exists, right? In this in the scientific ecosystem where you have a you have a recipient, right? Um, that is meant to be receiving something on, on behalf of some donor. And so if we take that kind of analogy that often translates into kind of colonial science kinds of models or, or parachute and very extractive kind of science. And so I have been very, very adamant and very deliberate in making sure that the science that I do in my lab and with my graduate students, um, that we, we challenge that kind of status quo. And we do that in a lot of different ways. Um, and first it comes from a spirit of humility um, and an acknowledgement that we are not the experts, right? Um, if you are navigating in your career with this title of, of being an expert, I think it stifles um, growth. I think it stifles innovation. Um, I rather be labeled as like a perpetual learner, like like what you what you got to teach me, right? That that to me is where um, where we should be operating more as scholars. And so in the context of thinking about this international work, um, every one of the projects that we do, there's a certain kind of cycle that happens. And so I'll describe it briefly in saying that there is a scoping trip, for example, that we start the projects with. So whether it's me or whether my it's my graduate students, we're going into those places and we're going into those places with eyes open, ears open, heart wide to receive and to explore and to discuss, right? We, we need to know what some of the challenges are in those environments. We need to know what some of the information gaps are. We need to know what some of the priorities are, right? Because there's, there's a huge difference in, in maybe value systems sometimes, right? That we go into these places and we enforce our own perspectives, our own values, our own norms, right? That's problematic. Um, and so we do these scoping trips to start to build the relationships and make sure that there is a dialogue and to see if there's enough kind of shared interest and shared vision to then identify partners and, and build projects collaboratively. So there's a scoping trip that happens. And so I put in the budget of all of the trips, all of the budgets for the students, they go and do this scouting trip, this scoping trip. And I do the same thing, this scoping and scouting trip. Um, and then there is often a pilot trip, right? A pilot season, right? Where now it's a longer period of time. Now we can work on what is the protocol that we're gonna implement in that area. And it's co-designed, it's collaborative, right? We may bring equipment or certain resources. Um, they're bringing, of course, lots of local knowledge, lots of expertise, how to be effective in that area, what information is gonna be most useful. My lab is called the Applied Wildlife Ecology Lab. The acronym is ALL. Right, so I am, um, I am governed by a mission of stimulating awe and appreciation for the, the wondrous natural world, right? That's what I want to do. And so that A in applied wildlife ecology means applied. I wanna make sure that the science that we do, the information that we're gathering, there is utility to that. 
And so historically, it's been a problem from my perspective that we go into these places with our own agenda, with our own questions, um, and then we kind of force feed it into certain audiences and says, say, this is important and this is why you should care about it and, and use the work and use the information. Well, I didn't ask you to do that project. Nobody told you to spend the last three years and a billion dollars doing this thing. That's not what I said we needed, right? That's not what I, our priorities are. That's not what, what would be most helpful for us, right? But if we're doing that kind of outreach activity at the end of the projects, the likelihood of it being impactful, transformative, helpful, and applied is going to be compromised versus an idea of if you are co-creating, co-developing, um, setting the agenda together, it means that I have an audience, my partners and country are like hungry, anticipating what we're going to find because they want the information and they need the information. And so that, that arc of our process of doing our science, it takes so much longer, right? And it requires way more money. <laughs> and that kind of model is challenging in the academy, right? Um, especially for natural scientists. Um, I'm really fortunate in being in the School of Environment at Yale where my colleagues are economists and anthropologists and sociologists and ecologists, where that kind of interdisciplinarity is a part of our superpower, if you will. Um, that, that, that means that the approach that I'm taking um, is well familiar with social scientists, right? That the, the delicacy and the thoughtfulness around engagement, around collaboration, around coalition building, those things are quite familiar to other disciplines, um, more so than the natural scientists. But because I'm in an environment now that all these different tools and techniques are used in implementing, in implementing science, um, it means that it, it's... I'm able to kind of thrive and, and again, be authentic in who I am and what my approaches are to my science, um, being in a school of the environment at, at Yale. That just takes me to the next question, Doc. Now, I got to miss something. I feel a little sheepish when I'm, about, when I'm getting ready to ask uh -oh. you. Uh -oh. mm -mm. No, 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 because it's powerful what you just said when you say it's like doing outreach after you yeah. know, so it's like I'm about to ask you a question after something, you know, okay. uh, bringing you there. But I want to ask it a certain way, and, it, and this is uh, and this is the belonging and feeling comfortable question. But I want to ask it a certain way. In terms of belonging and feeling comfortable, what would it? What is required for Professor Harris? Okay, you see, it's the fourth quarter, but you see, I'm I'm I'm, I'm twisting it a different yeah. way, you know. Yeah. And of course, I think you know why I'm doing that. But what would be required to meet Professor Harris's expectations? You know, so that you know the leader, and there's only one Dr. Naima Harris. So it's not leaders like you know you are Dr. Harris. But what would it take? You know, like, and I think, and the reason I'm asking it that way is because I think people need to hear, you know, like as we're bringing scholars in, you know, how do we meet them? Because they obviously already got in their mind how they want you to meet their expectations. You know, right. so that's why I'm asking it. You know, you know, like that way. And how can they continue to do better wherever you are? So that your experience is is outstanding. So that's the question. Yeah, I think it's, I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge it a little bit because you you okay. mentioned a word about about comfort, right? Like okay. like this this idea of of being comfortable. The reality is I don't feel comfortable. Like I I don't think I've ever I don't think I ever have um, felt comfortable 
because again, the historical legacy and the historical context of what I'm walking into in my field um, was not built with me in mind, right? The foundationally, my voice, my perspective, my culture, my norms, my values, my, shoot, my hair, right? Nobody, nobody consider, right? Um, so because, because of that, um, no, I don't, I don't think, I, I think it's more questionable if you do feel comfortable as a person of color, like that raised, that raises some questions for me. So I don't, I don't operate from the lens of, am I comfortable? Right. And I think that that has, that has always been problematic in general of like, oh, we want to, we, we want to make certain people feel comfortable here or, or it's bad if you're uncomfortable. Um, and I don't have that. I don't share that perspective that if you are uncomfortable, it provides an opportunity for growth, right? <laughs> it provides an opportunity for expansion. So it's okay for you to be uncomfortable. Like it's all right. You can like, <laughs> you can, you can work through it. Like you can figure it out. So comfort, not, a, not, a, not an issue, but um, what is required for um, stimulating or promoting and facilitating an environment where I can thrive, where I can um, be successful, sometimes it's making sure that I have space, right? Like, how about you just don't be a roadblock? How about you just like get out the way, right? Sometimes it's that. Um, sometimes it's, I need the capacity and the infrastructure and, you know, the administrative support. I need the resources to carry out the vision and don't try to minimize or stifle or alter the vision, right? So again, creating, creating the space and building the resources and building the tools. Um, one of the reasons, and people often ask me, especially being a woman of color in the academy, which can be quite toxic, which can be quite detrimental, uh, which can be quite harmful and abusive, frankly, in, in some environments, like, why are you here? Like, why did you choose the academy? Um, and this relates to your question, because part of my justification and being in this space um, is to be a, an example that not that you have to be anything like Dr. Harris, right? That's not, that's not what it is, not, not producing mini me's. But I do wanna create an opportunity where someone could say, wow, so she's doing it this way because that aligns with her values, because it aligns with her background, because it, it's associated with her value system. Okay, I can do that too, whatever the model looks like. The point is that historically there's been more traditional models of how we define excellence and who gets to be the knowledge producers and the way that we're supposed to work. And I am certainly trying to operate in a way where we break some of those norms and we start to figure out how do we reconstruct after deconstruction, because some of this needs to come down, um, how do we reconstruct an environment that facilitates multiple means, multiple versions of excellence, multiple versions of success, multiple versions of transformation and, and innovation. That it's not just a single model that gets implemented. That's not gonna help us uh, meet the challenges of the 21st century, right? Like we can't do what we've been doing. That's not gonna work. Our demographics are changing. The technologies are changing. Um, the infrastructure is changing, right? Which means we have to have enough bandwidth 
for the system to be malleable, right? We have to have enough bandwidth for us to embrace the evolution, <laughs> right? Do we have enough evolutionary capacity to handle future conditions? Um, well, if we are not embracing the diversity of perspectives and tools and values and approaches, it means we're not building enough capacity to handle the unknown in the future. I'm just writing it down. I wish y'all could see he's taking notes, y'all. I wish y'all could. <laughs> I wish y'all could see. Yes. I'm writing. taking notes, y'all. It's, 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 he's writing. It's, don't a model into in the scientific ecosystem. It's too many quotables here, okay? It's too, like, we, we need to make an album. I mean, because you're saying so much stuff. And you're really, look, you you know, I, I, think, I think the word of you, it's really hit me how you talked about the comfort. Because I remember when I was a there, but when I've been other places, and I'll do work and people will ask me, how do you do the work? How do you do this? And I found that I didn't, I, I'm not gonna say I answered it wrong because I'm not gonna criticize myself now because the past is the past, but I answered it a different way. I would make it about um, how I connect with people. Like that's how I would answer people. You know, well, it's how I connect with people. How do I bring people to the table? But mm -hmm. the truth of it is the way that I operated was I made sure that my stuff was stellar as I watched everybody else whose stuff was not. Hmm. I'm just going to be real with you. That's how I did what I did. I came in and I went, okay, I know my stuff needs to be 100. Yep. How do I make it 100? Right. And not do it in the 100 in the way that they accept it, even though it, it has to cross the acceptance. One, it's going to be 100 how I accept it. Am I okay with this? And can I do it? Then once I present it, I can be, I can be adaptable based on what people say, if there's a good relationship and how we communicate with each other. But you're right. I've actually never, and then, now I don't want to say this, and I'm going to jump off of this because I'm, I'm not going to be on my high horse because this is about you. There are times in my life when I would question working eight hours a day in the space, the best hours of the day during sunlight at a place of work. Why do I want to be comfortable there when family's at home and friends are somewhere else, so on and so forth? So then that's how it switched in my mind, how I was also productive at work. Not that I don't have friends at work and people yeah. who can become like family, because you're my friend. But I'd be like, I ain't here to make friends. Right. And that's literally how I came to work. I'm like, I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to get the job done. My friends are beyond the threshold of this place where I work. That's who I talk to the ah, when work is over. So I just want to say, I appreciate what you're saying, because that's actually what you said is how I live. I just realized that I didn't say it, but I know what I did. I, I didn't care about comfort. I cared about getting what I'm there to do. And then I'll get that once I leave here. And some people no. may think that's not the way, the right way to exist. And I can, I can hear that too, but I can just say that that's just how I showed up. And I will say that because, because of that environment, um, it means that the, the, the self-care is really important, right? So you mentioned like travel, being able to travel and go to these places, that's deliberate. That's not accidental. Um, I, I know 100% that like, I couldn't be in the office or on campus. I couldn't be teaching 100% of my time, right? That's not, that's not going to work because, because it's taxing, it's draining. The, the, sometimes I say it's, you know, these microaggressions that we talk about, um, it's death by a thousand cuts, right? And so, and so because of, because of that, it means I need time um, in my professional, spiritual, social, emotional space to recharge, to, to armor up. And I get that from being in the field. I get that from going into um, wilderness. I get that from studying animals in their natural environment. I just came back from Madagascar. Um, 
I'm like, you know, these lemurs are awesome, right? Like that's the only place in the world that you can find these lemurs. I went, found six different species. Like it was, it was a part of recharging, right? And so I know that I have to build that into, it's a part of um, my retention, right? Oftentimes we talk about institutions having recruitment strategies and retention strategies, but what's my own recruitment strategy? What's my own retention strategy? Right. Why is it up to someone else? Right. To to determine the retention. I have some agency, too. Right. So what do I need to do um, to retain, to sustain right myself in this environment? And for me, being in the field, seeing animals in their natural environment, um, me being explorative and curious and that 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 plugging back into the source. Um, is a part of my retention strategy. It's a part of keeping me whole after the death by a thousand cuts. Listening here, what you said when you said, but basically getting back connected, you know, like with the creator, like connecting back and it's like coming, bringing it down because you've experienced so many other things when you had work, so on and so forth. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. So then that leaves me, and we're, we're, we're you know, we're going to, you know, bring it down because I know you have a busy schedule, Doc. So I'm, this was so much time. fun. Like there's got to be a part two. There's got to be it a has to be. Because <laughs> I don't know that I'm going to get to all of these, but I know, I know I can get to two more. And, uh, you know, in particular, the, the, the first one I want to ask is about when you were around the world, were the things that you did, and as you were around the world, excuse me, because we're in the world, what are we talking about? Yeah. It's not third worlds, we're in the world. But like, did you see problems there in other places that you also see mirrored in the mm -hmm. U.S. or mirror, you know what I mean? You know, so that's, oh, that's yeah. my question. Oh, yeah. I mean, these, okay. these issues around, these issues around power, these issues around privilege, these issues around access, um, those are those are global phenomena, right? They're not they're not just in the developed nations. They're not just in the um, you know developing nations, right? That that contrast doesn't exist. Um, we like to kind of um, we like to add these like labels and categorizations based on economic status, etc. Um, but the reality is that a lot of these countries that I work in are, are really wealthy and rich countries when it comes to the natural resources, right? When it comes to the natural capital, um, more so than necessarily the, the social capital, if you will. But the problems around, um, around you know, endangered species and conservation, um, which is the area that I focus on, um, is interesting because we can often go into these places where there's species that are not in our home country, right? Like I'm going to West Africa to study lions because the U.S. doesn't have any, right? Like there are no elephants. There are no, right? So, so we have transformed an environment historically over time and have lost a whole bunch of species. Right. And yet we have this perception of us doing it better, us doing it. Dude, you like you, you, we lost them, <laughs> like, you know, climate, habitat, a variety of factors. Right. But where they still exist, um, there should be an, an appreciation. There should be a um, an acknowledgement of the. Uh, uh, of the ind indigenous knowledge, right? H that has contributed to sustaining them in those places, which means we need to be learning, right, from them. 
And so, yes, there are certainly these problems that exist that we see um, around power, around privilege, around gender, right? Oftentimes, especially in, in the African countries that I'm working, um, I end up being the only female, right? I am leading a team of, of African men into the field. Um, uh, and, and so that the, those isms arise, right, of perceptions around my capacity, perceptions around what I'm capable of, uh, perceptions around my, my knowledge and my skill base. Um, and so there's some tension there. And I'm like up for it, like, okay, okay, so you don't think, okay, okay, just wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on for a second. Um, and so, you know, I can rise to the challenge when need be, but the reality is that in order for us to be successful in any dimension of our field, um, the ego has to go out the window, right? Like that we have to be entering these spaces with a growth mentality. We have to be entering this, this space with a spirit of reciprocity. I know that I have something to offer in every place that I go, but I also know I have something to, to receive in every place that I go. Everybody, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm floored. You know, this, this is what happens when you talk to Professor Harris, okay? okay. You're gonna learn and you're gonna get something. And, and, and listen to your doc, just I'm looking at the questions. You've actually already answered the other ones, uh, in, a way, in my opinion, you know, because like if I was to ask like, how could we better support, you know, someone, you know, a scholar, black woman, a woman, you know, whoever, I mean, you just, you just talk, in my opinion, I'm, I'm hearing, you know, I'm hearing like when you said the spirit of reciprocity, when I even teach diversity, when I'm working with clients or whomever, that's actually what I talk about coming into the room. I'm like, how are you going to expect something that you're not giving? You know, like how, how are you going to expect them to do something that you're not even doing? You know, and then having this curiosity, I have something to receive. I have I have something to give, you know, that people see you that way. I have something to receive from her. I have something to receive from them, but that also means that I have something to give. Yeah. And it's something that hopefully is going to be positive that they, you know, yeah. I'm just. Uh, and the amazing thing, the amazing thing is that the more, the more places that I do travel, the more communities and agencies that I interact with, I am building my own capacity, right? We have these perceptions about like, oh, I'm going to go build capacity in, in these places because they need my little help, right? Again, back to this donor recipient kind of model. But what I've learned that has been unexpectedly beautiful is that the more interactions, the more places, the more species, the more environments that I get to experience, um, my capacity builds, which means what I have to offer grows, right? So I get to be uh, dynamic as I'm navigating and building more resources, building more toolkits, enhancing myself, right, to be, figure out how to be a better resource to my students, figure out how to be a better teacher in my classroom, figure out how to be a better researcher and collaborator, because I have, I am building my own capacity as I'm navigating in these spaces. And I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't anticipate that being a product um, of a deliverable that would be happening as I was navigating um, my professional ecosystem. So listen, I'm going to go ahead and own something really quick. Okay. For everyone who's listening. Okay. We still have, we haven't even tipped the surface. Okay, oh, Professor <laughs> as, you, as you heard, I'm sure you've heard, Philadelphia, 
Okay, I've mentioned institutions, mentioned Yale, mentioned Madagascar. There's so much more for us to learn, in my opinion, with Professor Harris's pedagogy, okay? How she teaches, how she puts together, even though you gave us a piece of it, you know, we're talking about the scope, but there's so much more how Professor Harris chooses is where she goes. So, so I'm just, I'm putting it out to Professor Harris. This is why we have to do a part two or three, is then, you know, because we haven't asked you about these other parts of you. Yeah that are very significant. But what we have learned, at least today, is some of why you're passionate about your discipline. We have learned the wisdom that you've learned in many ways also co-constructed with those that you've worked with. Okay. We've learned the wisdom of how to show up in spaces, how to almost create your own space in a difficult, you know, in a difficult place that A, is not meant for you and B, may not even operate the way that, that you operate. We've learned already learned a lot about where you come from and how that is, uh, and it, to me, it's a place of pride being from Philly and how it comes out in the way that you engage with people and how there's some places that may not be able to handle it and some, and some places, you know, who, who, who can. So I'm just saying all of that to ask the last question with the last few minutes, which is, is there anything that you would like to tell us or pass on to other people? And that's why I went through that kind of like litany, you know, just so that people can see, I know that we've talked about this, yeah. If there's anything else to be added based on this, because there's so much more of that we have not talked about, and we're going to do that in subsequent episodes. Yeah, I would just, I would just say that um, I, I, I want to encourage, I want to encourage our our colleagues um, to uh, sit in the uncomfortable. Um, I want to encourage our our colleagues to acknowledge that there is always room for growth and improvement. Um, I want to encourage, especially the, the kind of younger, early career, next generation, in thinking about um, the boxes that people may want to put us in. Uh, we don't have to exist in a box. Um, and that there is lots of space um, for us to be creative, um, that we get to operate with a fullness, with, with, um, with a trueness, because you need to feel good doing the thing that you were called to do, right? And so that means that there has to be some agency in learning, well, what do you need to be successful? What do you need for your own retention? What do you need for your own health? So there's some self-exploration that has to go into building your voice and, and feeling empowered um, to sustain in spaces that may make you uncomfortable sometimes. Again, that's okay. Um, but figuring out what we have to do to support each other, figuring out what we have to do to encourage each other. Um, that's been a journey and will continue to be a journey. And so I want to I want to expend my appreciation because even though you've been talking about what you have learned from me over the last year, uh, years that we've known each other, it's also been reciprocal. Um, I have moved into spaces and there would be a flyer that's there because Dr. Easley was just there giving a presentation. I was like, yeah, he's, he's, he's blazing the trail, right? I, can't, I came after you. There's been plenty of times when that has happened. Um, so I appreciate, I appreciate you. I appreciate you extending the invitation. I appreciate our friendship. I appreciate what I have learned from you. Um, I appreciate your voice helping to amplify my voice and my voice helping to hopefully amplify your voice. Again, that reciprocity um, that we are operating and creating a newness um, that's unfamiliar, right? 
people ain't people ain't seen us before dr easley <laughs> so i am i am totally um humbled and inspired and and grateful for you being in this space and creating this platform because this is how we make change happen right this is how we transform this is how we innovate. This is how we expand and broaden. Um, this is what's going to prepare us for the next, prepare us for the unknown, right? These conversations, these spaces that that facilitate the growth that we need. So, so thank you for, for your effort. Um, and I look forward to figuring out ways to continue to engage and figure out ways to support. Um, and we're going to do this thing together. And we're going to deconstruct and we're going to reconstruct. Deconstruct, reconstruct. Listen, I'm ready. I, Let's do it, Doc. As I as I as I close, as I just want to say that there was, I wrote at encourage our colleagues to sit in the uncomfortable. Encourage colleagues. There's always growth opportunity to grow. Encourage young folks, but in particular, but anyone. You don't have to live in a box. You need to feel good doing the things that you were called to do. I just want to. I want to pause on that. Called to do. In case there's some people out there, what do you mean by called? Maybe we'll start the next one with that. <laughs> okay, because I think in different cultures they uh -huh. may say it differently, but uh -huh. in our culture that we is what we're talking about. I know what we're talking about. So when you know what you're called to do, you obey that, or you lean into it and you learn. And leader, scholar, queen, professor, all of that. You know, I want to thank you for. And I'm let you, we can keep this in, please. But you, you're you're the first of our of our season five. You're the first, and okay. so I think that we have opened this up. And the only way that it should have been opened up with light, brilliance, love, and that you can add any other positive piece. We are better because you were with us. Thank you so much for being here. And I think everyone who is listening, I really hope that you take, uh, I know you're going to take something, but I actually hope you take at least a hundred somethings because it's a lot that Professor Naima Harris from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, She's a professor, wildlife biologist, scholar, scientist at the School of the Environment at Yale University gave to me and to you today. So I hope you all uh, really enjoyed this time. I know I did. Um, oh, this is and, so awesome. And it felt good, right? Like we need to yeah. create spaces that feel good. So thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. Well, hey, everyone, until next time, this is uh, Dr. Easley, who enjoyed talking with Dr. Harris. I got our friend and brother, Benny Alupo, who's keeping us moving. We're signing off. Everybody, until next time, you take care of yourself and give care to others. Peace. Peace.